What's going on, everyone? Jonathan here with the Venue RX podcast. And my guest today is someone who I have been dying to have on this podcast. We have rescheduled this episode a number of different times, and we did so because I really wanted to give appropriate time to the discussion that we're going to have today, which is all things venues. And you know, here at the Venue RX, we do want to give you uh, as much of a prescription as we can about how to run your venue well and some of the essential pieces that go into owning a wedding venue, buying a wedding venue, just the process of uh, operating a wedding venue on a, on a daily basis. And so today, uh, my guest is also a fellow podcaster from the She Creates Business podcast. Thank you so much for being on my show, Kinsey Roberts. You are welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very, very happy to be here. Well, I am pumped to talk. We're going to have such a great conversation today. And uh, you are also the owner of Vista View Events. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. I am the owner of Vista View Events. It's uh, my wedding venue in Colorado. I love that. So exciting. I love talking with venue owners, especially. And as we were talking before we got on, on the air here, just, you know, you obviously give a lot of advice and consult uh, with people in the space, but you also walk the talk, you know, you're, you're involved on a day-to-day -day level, but on that topic, how involved are you currently in the daily operations of your business? I am extremely involved in the daily operations of my business. So I, we started the process of Vista View events in 2016. It's a venue that we built from the ground up. So we didn't buy an existing anything. Um, and so I am just entering my sixth year of being in, of having Vista View events and my fifth year of it operating, of course, because it took us a year to build it. And so at this point, I, I'd love to say, no, I am an absentee owner. I just collect a paycheck and I watch it from afar. Uh, that is not true at all. I am extremely involved. I'm heavily involved in the marketing because that is my it's um, my my profession by trade. That's how I got into the wedding industry. And I'm heavily involved in the trajectory, especially now that uh, as of, gosh, almost four months ago now, and, and Jonathan, you and I were chatting about this a little bit. I bought my partner out. I had a partner up until December 2021. And my role really hasn't changed because I was doing so many things in the venue anyway. But um, the trajectory of Vista View events will be very different in the next six years than it has been in the last six years. So I'm, I'm very involved. That is so exciting. And you touched on, I mean, I feel like there's six podcasts there, just right there, but I want to just go back really quick. So when you first started uh, VistaView events, did you, what, what made you decide to build a new venue versus buying an existing venue? Did that thought even cross your mind about doing it that way instead of, you know, creating something uh, brand new from the ground up? No, that's a good question. So no, that never crossed our mind. Um, and I love to tell this story because it is, it's, I think it's a lot of venue owner stories uh, because we either come to the industry because we love love and because we planned our own wedding and we wanted to do it for ourselves or whatever it is. I, none of that is true for me. I actually did not. So I live on my husband's family ranch. That is where our wedding venue is or where my wedding venue is. And back in 2015, in late 2015, I was 
moving back to the ranch full time from and leaving my corporate marketing gig. And I had heard my sister-in-law, who was my former partner, say many times, you know, we need some sort of event venue. There needs to be a venue out in our, we're from a rural community. So she got married here years ago, had trouble finding a wedding venue. And that's really what kind of planted the seed for her. And it would be years later until 2015, where uh, I was coming back to the ranch full time with my husband. Like I said, I was leaving my corporate marketing job. And I, I, we kind of just, it was sort of like perfect timing. I kind of just said, Hey, I'm leaving. You've always talked about this. Why don't we give it a go? And we kind of just decided to do it. Uh, we had the land because I, I mentioned we live on a ranch. So my father-in-law owns the property that Vista View event sits on. And we just decided to go for it. Um, it was very much minimum viable product. We were lucky enough that you guys know how expensive it is to build a venue. So we didn't have to buy the land. Let's be clear about that. We already, my father-in-law owns it. Um, they are our investors. So I pay them every single year, a pretty healthy sum. And uh, so we only had to pay for the building and all of it, all only I say, everything that comes yeah. with that. Um, so really uh, my, my former partner, it was really her idea. I knew that what I could bring to it was uh, the growth strategy and the marketing strategy um, because we are outside of a town of 10,000, less than 10,000 people. I don't live, I don't even live close to a town of 30, 50, hundred thousand people. So anybody out there who has more than that, I mean, marketing really was and still is extremely important to us. Um, but that's how I came by the venue and uh, we just decided to go for it. We opened in 2017 and we've kind of been on a roll since. That is such an incredible story. I think it's inspiring for a lot of folks to hear that because they may also live in a rural area or live in an area where they may be feeling like this is something that they're called to or something that's a fantastic opportunity, but it doesn't necessarily, like there are still a lot of clouds in the vision mm. that they have for it because they don't know how they would do the marketing or they don't know some of those things. But I, I wanna ask you, I wanna just kind of stay on this for a second because I really believe there's a certain level of bravery that you have to have to invest this money to, I mean, even though your father-in-law owned the property, you've got to hire the contractors. You have to do this. Did you have a background in that? Or did you, I mean, I know you said, said uh, marketing, but have you ever like built a building before or did any sort of construction or were you just like, Hey, we can do this. And you learned along the way. Oh, that's a good question. So no, I never built anything. Although I will say that the corporate marketing job I was coming from was actually real estate marketing. And it was a specific niche. It was student housing, where we did pre-sell this entire student housing community for the following year that wasn't even built yet. So truly, I feel like it was just kismet that that's the role, the marketing role I happened to be in prior to doing this, because I was like, oh, you can build something that doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or you, you know, you can market and book something that doesn't exist. I mean, I had that mindset, but absolutely not on the construction side of things had absolutely no idea. Here's a couple of benefits that I had going for me that I think maybe a lot of people listening probably have too. They just don't know it. Um, number one, my husband's family has been in this area for a long time. And so they know a lot of people, they know a lot of contractors, they know a lot of like concrete guys and gravel guys. And that all sounds very specific, but it is y'all know when you're starting to build a venue, really it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, and so they knew all of those people. We also have a lot of our own equipment to be able to do stuff. Um, it's also our own private property. So, you know, my husband and our best friend Tyson, they were the ones out there doing a lot of the bone work of the venue. Um, we, we did a lot of things wrong. Like if I could go back and do it again, I probably would hire a more professional crew. 
not that my husband and Tyson did not do excellent. I just mean like for speed, for number of people, you know what I mean? Um, 10 guys can do a lot more than two guys can, you know, like my husband's up there putting trusses up and he's standing on a hay lift. Uh, so anyway, it was very much DIY. And to be completely honest with you, outside of just kind of knowing the day-to-day um, happenings out there from like my husband or what my partner would tell me about. I was, it's not like I was out there swinging a hammer. Mm. Uh, I don't know anything about construction. And like I mentioned, I know that you can book something that doesn't exist. So that's what I was focused on at that time. I knew that we had to, you know, like I said, we're in a tiny rural community. I knew that marketing was going to be key for us. Otherwise this, this dream would die a slow death. So I was working on our website, working on our social um, networking with this incredible wedding community I found online that I didn't even know existed. Uh, and I was not super active in the building part of it other than I knew I wanted it to be white. I knew I wanted it to be white on the inside. Um, and here's what I think it should look like so that we can actually fill up weddings because that's going to be the most profitable in this area. Um, but yeah, outside of that, like I said, I was not out there swinging a hammer for sure. So at what point did you start marketing? Cause this is something that I get a question a lot, I think in, in our community and what I've heard repeatedly from clients that we have is like, at what point do you start marketing? You know, is it six months before completion? Is it, you know, right when you get the permit, like at what point are you starting? And and maybe could you give us some tips as far as the order of operations? I mean, are you launching a website first or are you working on signing up for wedding wire in the knot? Like what, what is your take on, on the order of operations as far as marketing goes? Yes. Okay. I love this question. So the answer, the answer to your first question is when did we start marketing right away? Okay. Um, ASAP. So I moved, I tried. And when is it, well, and maybe you're going to share, but like when, right away, meaning like when you had the idea right away, when the first shovel hit the ground, Right away when we knew, like we knew what was happening and we had the name of the business. So you have to have that name of the business before you, what are you marketing? You don't know yet. Um, because when you go to get your website, all your social handles, right? Like you want to claim your brand. So you need to have the name. So all of those things, like your business plan, your operating agreement, the name, legalizing your venue, like get all of that done so that when you do hit that shovel in the dirt, uh, you don't have to like backtrack on anything. There's a lot of stuff I did wrong, but as soon as I had the name and I knew like what my com could be. So that was in February of 2016. And we wow. did not open until May of 2017. Um, yep. Oh, so February awesome. 2016 is when I started the um, is when I started the process of like claiming all of our social handles, which by the way, I did not do anything with. And this is an important point. Um, I got our website going. That took a little bit of time. Uh, if I could go back and do something different, I mean, I did it wrong. I am the one who created our website. I created it. I designed it. I, I put it all together. I think that that was a bit of a waste of time because of course it took me longer than a professional, but I also was working on a super minimal budget and by minimal, I mean zero. Mm -hmm. um, so between February of 2016, in May of 2017 on our grand opening, um, I think I, you know, I used all of my personal money because Vista View Events had nothing. And, and here's the other thing we are, my, I mentioned that my father-in-law was our initial investor and I'll tell you how much money we put into our initial investment for marketing, nothing. Uh, so it was all about spending time and my own money. Um, so order of operations, first things first, claim all of your social handles, like claim your brand across the internet. Um, that is Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, it's TikTok now, um, your website, obviously buy all of your domain names. So .com, .net, .org, .co, whatever it is. Um, I don't think you really need to worry about trademarking in the beginning that it's a costly endeavor and it's a sort of a waste of time. I am doing it now, but I've been in business for six years. Mm -hmm. So 
that's just something to say there. But the after you've claimed all of your, your brand across the internet, so that you're kind of putting your stake in the digital ground, the first thing that you need to focus on is your website and your word of mouth. Your website is your only owned content on the internet. And if as long if you can put your focus on your website and driving people there and helping people in your immediate sphere of influence understand that you're doing this, they're going to be excited. Everybody wants to be a part of a new adventure. And so there is no easier time to grab on to the gravitas of human interest than when you're starting a new business. And so you don't start it six months before you're going to open. You start it right away so that you can take people on that journey with you. And you might be thinking, nobody cares what it looks like when it's just sticks. They absolutely do care. And I'll tell you a couple of stories. One story, a couple of times I have had brides come to my venue and say, I've been following you since you posted that one picture on Facebook where it was just, you know, like you didn't even have walls. Um, and I wasn't even engaged and I saved it. And listen, did that fill my books? No, it didn't, but it proves the point that people love a human interest story and they want to follow along the adventure. They want to feel like they're part of it. And that may not feel like marketing to you because you can't get that perfect Instagram photo. Um, but I think we're kind of with social media and with all of the options like paid advertising, we're sort of losing, we're sort of losing our, um, the, the real logical sense that we have when it comes to marketing that truly in, in many regards, word of mouth and referral marketing and local marketing is what's really going to help your business kind of like create that foundational groundswell that like brings you into popularity later. Um, as far as paying for advertising, not at the beginning, not until you're open. Um, a lot of what those sites focus on like Wedding Wire, The Knot, uh, Rocky Mountain Bride for me, that's a regional publication, The Venue Report. Uh, you do not want to sign up for those until you have baller ass photos, pardon my language. And the reason is, is because you, that's all you're competing on. People are just scrolling through like this, like, and you have to catch their eye with your photos. So I really don't recommend signing up for those until you can hire a professional to do photo and video for you when your space is done. I love that. That's such good advice. I have personal experience with venues that have done it both ways. And it's so tough because you start investing and it's not cheap to invest with any of those platforms. You know, certainly some are, are more or less than others, but you know, when you do that, you really are putting a big investment up front and you're totally right. People are scrolling, they're looking at looks. And if you just have, uh, you know, architectural renderings or something like that, you're really not going to have the attention and all of the money that you're spending on that marketing is going to waste completely. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you something really quick though. You mentioned the gravitas of, of, you know, the human emotion and the excitement around this new project, but what do you do with kind of the dark side of this, which is everyone having an opinion mm. during the process and everyone may mainly, you know, could be friends, could be family, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you started with someone in your family, but I, I know of so many scenarios where there are people who have a voice in the community of the person who's starting the venue and they're saying, Hey mom, Hey dad, Hey, you know, cousin, Hey friend, you should put a X over there. Or why don't you do a this here? Right. And they're kind of speaking that stuff into you and Hey, you should do this. You should do that. And it's very easy maybe to get like jostled around uh, emotionally and mentally with the, kind of the clarity that you have. So how did you, how did you handle that? How do you kind of ride on that wave of excitement about what you're building yet also not let people have the access 
to feel like they're actually helping you build the thing? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, that's a great question. I don't know if I am an expert in that because I certainly fell in that trap when I was, when we were just starting Vistaview events and you're right. I built it with family, like with my in-law family and that there is a certain level of discomfort when it comes to building something that is so um, financially aggressive. Uh, and so I think there's, I think there's two answers to that. I think the first answer, just logically speaking, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. You are going to have tough conversations and I encourage you to have those tough conversations, you know, throughout my career with my partner, I, there's a lot of things I wish I would have said six years ago. Um, you know, that may not have led to a few other things later down the road. Uh, but like, for example, like to your point, Jonathan, I mean, I'll, do you know how long it took us to pick our name? (laughs) Like a month. (laughs) It took forever. And I just hated every second of it. At the end, I was like, I don't care if we call it like this teacup.com because I just want to move on. (laughs) Um, it took forever because it was such a, it was really interesting when we personally first started this conversation, we were all involved. It was like me, my husband, my partner, her husband, my little brother-in-law, um, it, my in-laws. And we were all like sitting around the table. And I was just thinking to myself, why are we all here? Because that's what was happening. It was like this and this and this and this. And then eventually it like started, you know, paring down and weeding away until it was just me and my partner. Um, and that's where we really started to see success. So like I say, let me back up. The first thing is, is like, just understand, have self-awareness and have acceptance that you're going to have weird, hard conversations, but you will thank yourself for having those weird conversations. The second thing is that understand, like put people and their ideas in their proper place in your heart and in your mind. So there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be like, you should put a fireplace here. You should do grass here. You should do this here. And you can just say, oh, thanks for that suggestion. Oh, thank you for that suggestion. And then you don't have to do anything else with it. Like, let it go, just let it go. And then finally though, if they do have a stake in the company, um, whether you're building with multiple family members, financially, emotionally, personally, this, this, I see this a lot and you probably do too, especially on personal property, um, like family property. If they have an actual stake in the company, you have got to do yourself a favor and decide what people's roles are. I think that's like I mentioned, you know, there was like eight of us sitting around a table and I knew most of these people are not going to be involved in the day-to-day operations of the venue. So like telling us what it should look like is sort of irrelevant. Um, You really do have to have that weird, awkward conversation about what someone's role is in the business. Because on one hand, you have, you know, my partner and I over here who are doing tons of research into the industry. We know what's going to sell. And then on the other hand, we just have some other family members who are like, I think this is cute. Uh, And there's a huge difference in those opinions. So it's an awkward conversation. There is no way around it. You are not special. Uh, if you don't dive in and have that conversation, then you'll end up in the same, the same spot I did. Uh, and you're not going to like it. Wow. Wow. So yeah, I love this. And thank you so much for being, you know, so transparent and real, I think, and this is something that you and I were just touching on briefly before we got on, but there's, there's this, there's this feeling I think with, with that surrounds marketing, especially you know, when, when folks, maybe even like you and I, right, who are trying to sell or advertise a, a, a product or a service or coaching or consulting or whatever, but there are certainly people in the wedding and events industry as a whole who market like this is the magic bullet. Like mm. this one thing will fill up your venue or this one thing will make everything easier or this one thing will make. And it certainly, you know, there are things that can help make things easier, mm. but 
I really appreciate the level of, of authenticity and kind of just realness that you're bringing to this because it really is. I mean, it's, it's challenging. It's a struggle. There will be people in your community who are, you know, upset about this or that, or that you're not taking their opinion about the fireplace over there or whatever the case may be. Um, so thank you for that. I, I really, I really do appreciate that. Um, take us, keep going with your story. Take us through kind of now you have a venue, you've put it up. Um, you've been marketing now already for a year, mm-hmm. right? What, at what point did you get your first booking? I'm curious about this. Probably it was before a year, correct? Yeah, yes, it was. So we, and this is, I love this question because this is a mistake that I made. And I might, when I advise clients now who are in the throes of building, I'm like, please don't do what I did. Like I walked before you so that you didn't have to make this mistake. I did not take money or sign a contract with any of our couples until the venue was done and the doors were open, uh, which is the opposite of the advice I give now. So now I say, uh, pre-book, get those bookings in, like you can do it. Um, of course have a construction clause in there, but, and, and it works so well, but I didn't take any money or any contracts until the venue was open. So, but what that? I, we opened in May of 2017. No, no, no. Why oh, was that? Why? Oh, didn't why? I was absolutely terrified that we would not be done. And I think this actually goes back to what another mistake I shared, which was that if I had it, had it all over or had it to do all over again, I would hire a professional construction crew, which most people do. Um, we just didn't because, you know, that's who we are. And, um, you know, I just, we were, we were all, we were behind our deadline. Like we just were, everything was, it was kind of chaotic. We had a small crew. It was like, like I said, my husband and our friend, and then it was these people and then these people. Um, so of course we hired professionals where we, where it mattered legally, like professional electrician and all of that. Um, but I was, we were behind on our deadline, like wild. And I just was just terrified. We were not going to be done. And, um, if you are from like a ranching family, you'll understand this. Like everything's behind, (laughs) everything's behind schedule nothing ever gets done on time. Everybody's like chaotic. And that's kind of how it was. So I was, I was scared and I didn't have the courage to, to take that chance. I didn't have the courage to take that chance. That's kind of just the truth. And so I, yeah. On this, on this same note, and again, thank you so much for sharing this. I just, this is like, this is, I think this is going to be a top 10 episode, top five episode easily. Um, you better drive us up to number one, people share this with your friends. <laughs> let's go. Yes, please do. But this is, this is so powerful what you're sharing right now and, and people need to hear this. So um, did you offer discounts to get those first bookings? Did you feel like you need to, needed to? I don't, I have, that is the one thing that, uh, even when I, my, my former business partner and I, we have never offered discounts. We were a hell of a lot lower, mm-hmm. uh, in pricing than we are today, but we've never, I don't offer discounts. We have a, we have, I guess I should say this so that people understand I am a seasonal wedding venue. And by seasonal, I mean, hard stop and hard start. It's not a climate controlled venue. So I only have six months, May to mid October to make my year's worth of revenue. So instead of taking a whole year to host, you know, 75, weddings or 86 weddings, I host anywhere between 65 and 75 in six months. Um, So we don't have the luxury of saying like these dates are discounted. These dates are not. If you book the right remainder of our 2022 dates, it's $500 off. Like we've never, the only discount I offer then and now is to military and first responders. Mm. Um, So we were super low, but uh, not a discounted rate to like, come on in. Yeah. So, and we're talking about pricing here. So I just, I just have a question for seasonal venues and in your experience right now, working with other folks in the industry, do you feel like it is 
possible to get to 750,000, a million plus in revenue in a seasonal venue because of the compressed availability? Or is it just extremely, because, and I'm asking this question because I think that people get into the industry, they do some simple math. They say 365 days a year. Okay. We'll just calculate the weekends. Okay. 253. Okay. So I should be able to sell my venue 120 days a year. And so then they do the math and calculate it. And then it's like, great, I'm going to be making 1.3 million. Yeah. And they kind of, that's the back of the napkin math that they start the entire assumption on. Yes. It's like you were sitting at my kitchen table. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, it's true. So, no, it's not. And it did. Okay, two answers. No, yes, and no. Yes, but it depends on what your pricing is. Okay. So, and no, because it depends on what your pricing is. So, in 2017, but yeah, in 2017, guess what I was charging for a full wedding day? Thirty five hundred dollars. Wow. What? It doesn't matter if I stacked every Thursday through Sunday, May through October, we are not even going to sniff in the direction of a million dollars. Um, uh, for the, for that's just math. Like we're just not going to my wedding venue today for a Friday or a Saturday is $7,900. I have raised my price by almost 5,000 bucks, right. Or more than $5,000. No, I'm sorry. Uh, almost 5,000. Yeah. Um, so hashtag math. Uh, but so the reality is, is that number one, you will never book as much as you think you will. Not at the beginning, mm-hmm. not at the beginning. Why, why not Kinsey? Like you're kind of crushing my dreams here simply because the market is becoming more saturated. Um, but also too, you don't know what you don't know. So unless this is your second, third, fourth, or fifth wedding venue, you are not going to be able to circumvent certain things. You're going to have to go through them. I'll tell you what, after our first wedding, I went home that night and changed like 70 things in my contract um, because it was a wild wedding. I was like, wow, (laughs) Um, you just, there's just certain things you're not going to know unless you listen to great podcasts like this one, but you probably haven't found it until you're already a venue owner. You know what I mean? So um, it depends on your price and. And also I would, you have to, I think you have to base your, I think here's a problem. Here's a problem with back of the napkin math is that's gross revenue. The -hmm. problem is that that's gross and not net and gross is for vanity and net is for sanity. Um, I did not say that. I think Dan Kennedy did. Uh, And so, but that's the problem is that's all gross revenue and you have no conception for your expenses yet. Uh, So it's, it's okay to say that this is a viable business idea, but then you have to move on from there and say, okay, what's net? What are my expenses? Um, You know, I think one of the things that we've been really lucky to do all of our, I mentioned earlier that our venue was very much minimum viable product. Uh, We, our venue is operated on a generator and I didn't even have a fence around that generator the first year. (laughs) It was like when you walked in and I'm not saying that you should do that. I'm just saying it's true. Uh, So when you walked into the gate, it was like, cool, there's your generator. (laughs) Uh, And, but it didn't really stop us. You know, we hosted 17 weddings in that first year and uh, our 17 events, they weren't all, even all weddings. Uh, But one thing that I'm, I'm proud of us for doing is not sinking, you know, two, $3 million into this venture and having this crazy debt threshold. So you can really, what I would encourage anyone to do, even if you're a current venue owner is really take a page from like the tech industry and keep things minimum viable product because your clients will tell you what's important to them. And so you might think that, um, having a groom suite is important and that's going to cost you an extra $50,000, but I've operated my venue without one for almost six years and I'm never going to build one. Uh, it, it just, it, your clients will tell you, so, 
So take a page out of the, so the tech industry. And what I mean by that is when they build like a SaaS product or an app or anything, um, they, it's very minimum viable product. Like they're just trying to get it out the door because they want real-time feedback about what sucks about it. So then they can truly build the ideal product for their client. And I think that if wedding venues would do that, either as brand new venue owners who are just now starting to break ground, or as you think about what you want to upgrade to, um, these are all expenses that you kind of have to keep in mind. You know, having a venue is much like being a homeowner we're never satisfied <laughs> where for some reason, like in the industry, you know, like you have five venues uh, or you're, you're managing five venues, you know, we're always like, let's add this and let's add that. And let's pave the driveway again. And let's put a unicorn out here. Um, I'm just kidding, but we're, we're never satisfied. And I, I just don't think that uh, we think through those kinds of expenses or upgrades, especially when we're just getting started with our budget. Mm, that's so powerful because it doesn't also allow you to catch up with the money ever. Like Ever. you finish the pro, you finish a project, but then right on the heels of that comes another project, and then you're constantly looking at your bank account and at the bookings, wondering, you know, I only got four bookings or I only got six bookings, and I need X amount because I want to complete this project. And it's going to cost fifty or sixty thousand dollars. I mean, so I've seen that happen. In your perspective, do you feel like there's a certain amount of time that you should allow to go by? Maybe that first year, first twelve month period potentially, but I'm curious about, you know, your, your input here where you're just letting the market tell you things where you're not building anything or, you know, is that too hard? Is that impossible? People are just going to be chipping away at little projects all the time. What's the, what's the amount of time that you should let yourself as a venue owner mm -hmm. get that market feedback before starting new projects? Do you know what I think the real answer here is? I think the real answer is that you should have a financial advisor that actually tells you this. Like, I'm not your accountant. I'm not your bookkeeper. I don't know what your bank account looks like. You don't know what my bank account looks like. And I could say lots of stuff uh, simply because I am a venue owner. But the true answer is that our markets are so unique. They're there's foundational, like good financial practices that we should all be doing, right? Like let's all save, let's all do this. Like, let's have a low debt threshold. Sure. Of course. But our markets are unique. My booking velocity is different than your booking velocity. So like, if you need 10 weddings to build this new groom suite or whatever it is, right. Um, you have got to have someone in your corner, uh, not your husband, not your wife, not your like best friend who like did that one accounting class in college, um, or like someone you think is good at business, but isn't really, you really have to have somebody look at your numbers. Here's the cool thing. We all say we don't like math, but here's the great thing about math and data and analytics is they never lie. There's an answer. So there's an actual answer to that question based on your numbers. If you would just take the step to find the professional to help you find that answer. And they can say, Hey, hell yeah, you can totally build a groom suite in three years. If mm -hmm. this is your booking velocity, this is your PL every single month, and this is how much you're going to have left over at the end of the year, as long as you don't hire this one full-time person or your, um, your um, like employee expenses don't, and taxes don't exceed X, Y, Z. That's the answer to that. Uh, mm -hmm. it is, it's awesome because there's a, there is a real mathematical answer. You just have to have, be courageous enough to find it. That is, that is such amazing advice because it's true. Everyone is completely different and your inventory, how many days you have available to book, if it's seasonal, if it's not seasonal, depending on where you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube, you know, in the country, it's going to be different for you. So that's, that's a wonderful piece of advice. Kinsey, before we move on, I want to ask you another question about 
the setup of your venue so that, you know, we can provide some clarity for anyone who's listening. Do you do, are you kind of more of a blank canvas venue? Do you include coordination? Do you have catering on site? I know mm. you said you just operate off of a, a generator and it's kind of a remote property, but could you give me a little bit more of an insight um, for anyone who's listening right now? And I highly recommend if you're in the car or whatever, come back to this podcast later and check out Kinsey's uh, venue because the links and we're going to have everything in the description below, uh, for both podcast and YouTube, but go check it out because it's a stunning property. But for anyone who's just looking, uh, or just listening right now, can you kind of walk us through, are you blank canvas and just kind of a, a couple of different general things of, of what type of venue you have? Totally. So, and this has changed, even though we've only been doing this for six years, this has actually changed. So I'll tell you what that trajectory has looked like. The venue is a blank canvas. It is, uh, we are open vendor, though we do have a vendor recommendation guide and most of our couples book from it. We don't have required vendors. Uh, so it's not a closed list. It's an open list. We like to work with people. Um, we have always encouraged the hiring of professional vendors, but we are a role venue. So for the, up until this year, I was flexible on if you wanted to like have your mom do your flowers. Mm -hmm. Now I require professional vendors across the board. Um, but after six years. Yeah. So um, again, that didn't hurt us too much, except for in those really early years, uh, 2017, 2018. And, and uh, don't hear what I'm not saying. It did not hurt us. Our couples are amazing. Mm -hmm. um, because again, most people did hire from our professional list, which we've always had. And I learned that not because I knew anything about the wedding industry, but because I mentioned I got somehow, luckily for me, found this amazing wedding community online. So I learned that um, through, through studying and learning from other wedding pros. And uh, so we've always had a vendor recommendation recommendation guide. Um, but we've always been an open, we've always been an open list. Um, we have always included tables and chairs. And at first we weren't going to, at first we thought, well, what if they don't like our style or what have you, but we were, what we were doing and what I'm really proud of us for doing. And I completely stole this name from my, um, real estate marketing days. I mentioned that, that, that student housing community was being built as we were marketing it. And so we did this cool thing called dusty boot tours where students and their parents could come out and see the place, talk to our head contractor, blah, blah, blah. So I ripped that off hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Ripped that off, did that at our venue. And that's something that we were doing while we were actually actively constructing oh, spoiler alert. That's also just a marketing tactic. Um, but, and people were asking, Oh, you're going to have tables and chairs. Are you going to have tables and chairs? So we decided to get tables and chairs. Um, mm -hmm. but we, at first we weren't going to, so that is part that's, that's a classic example of letting the market tell you like what's important to them. And it has truly been one of the best things that we've ever done. So we've always included tables and chairs. We've gradually added more options of tables and chairs. So we have two colors. Now we have cocktail tables. We have all that. Um, we don't, have a caterer's kitchen. It's just a prep kitchen. I already told you, I don't have a groom suite. I have a, uh, or, um, not to gender, uh, to gender people, but we have one getting ready suite. So mm -hmm. I'll just say that we don't have two getting ready suites for both wedding groups. Um, and I will never have two. I only want to have one. Um, we, we didn't even have a storage unit at the beginning. Oh my gosh, you guys like build a storage unit for the love. Uh, we did not have a storage unit. I don't even know where we were putting our stuff. Now that I look at that, at that extra shed and I'm like, this thing is packed. I don't even know where I was putting my stuff. Um, what else we, for the first until, so from 2017, to 2019, we allowed a professional bartending services only. And now since 2020, we've had our liquor license. So we have an in-house liquor license. Yep. Amazing. Um, 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And now as of this year, we also added, um, so for the first five years did not have this going into this year or first five, four seasons. So going into our fifth season, um, we have a whole decor line. So we added, um, you know, rentals, basically decor rentals, um, including farmhouse tables. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. So you really That's started with, with kind of like the bare bones, minimum viable product, like you said, and yes. then you built from there. And I love that you did that because it gave you the runway to let yourself grow organically based on what the community needed, what you saw was going to be awesome. Not just kind of this build it and they will come mentality, which I think plagues a lot of the community. Mm. It's like, I've got this vision. I want to do this thing. Let's just plop this here versus, and, and people will love it and they will just come versus saying, what does the market need? What is, and so it seems like very much you grew as you saw the need in a lot of different ways. You know, in a, in a lot of ways, that's so true. I, I definitely made a lot of mistakes along the way for sure, but in many ways, absolutely. And I'm, and I, I hope it doesn't sound like I was totally okay with that. Listen, we all know it's so tough to look at your venue and see the, and know the potential. Uh, so did I love having to walk by my generator every single day, even though I knew we should have some sort of cover? No, I hated it. Um, but we simply did not have the money for it. Like we didn't have the money for it. And I was not willing to to put any financial stress on ourselves or ask for more money or anything like that. So sometimes, but you know, that was a, that was humbling and it was a huge lesson. Uh, but, uh, what's interesting is I think back to those days, I think about, I think about the venue now and I think about those days and never once did we have someone say like, we're not booking here because we don't feel like this is finished. You know, they were just cool. They were just excited to be there. They were, they love our location. And, and thanks for saying that, how awesome it is. It's really beautiful. Um, and, and we really care about your wedding. And I think that they've always gotten that sense, even as we've brought more people onto the team, even as, you know, like myself, I, like I'm not as available as I used to be, or I'm not as on site as I used to be in the beginning. Um, I think they can just feel that. Like we get it. This is not a birthday party. It's your wedding. Uh, so. And a point and a question about that. So do you feel that that the kind of human element, the customer mm. service, the high touch yeah. that you're providing, your team is providing that kind of heart behind the service that you're conveying to the couples that are not booked and the couples that are booked. Do you feel like that is, is just as important as a barn or a getting ready suite okay. or you know, whatever, a gazebo, a lake, whatever else? Or do you feel like as long as you have, you know, a kick-ass getting ready area, beautiful views and a, you know, lovely barn with a catering kitchen that you can kind of be not a jerk, but not care about customer service as much? Yeah, I would argue that those non those non tangible things, uh, incredible client experience, um, doing business with people, not things, is more important than actually what it looks like. And I think that we are proof of that. So when my partner and I were we were at every single wedding in the early days, either her or myself were the ones who were giving the tours. Um, we're the ones answering every single email. And honestly, like I, I that is the only thing I can point to that. Uh, Aside from it, it's great location. Don't get me wrong. Like it's lakefront and all of that. But listen, you just heard what it looked like in 2017 and 2018. Uh, it took us a couple of years to get to these other improvements. I think that you can't operate a business without that. In the same vein, I also want to say you have to be extremely careful. And I hope that you are thinking about this in, in the early days of your venue, not to become the product. 
um, especially as the owner. So if you are, and that's tough, it's so hard because you love your couple so much, but you, the human being have finite amount of time, energy, and resource. So you cannot become the product that is driving the bookings of your business. Um, I heard this really incredible, like this was modeled to me on a podcast episode from that. I heard Chuck Lorre being interviewed on, and he is the executive producer and creator of like wild, you know, television shows we've all heard of like the big bang theory and two and a half men and all of that. And he's worth like $600 million. And he's having this conversation with his wife where, and she's, an, she's what I would call an influencer. She's a fitness influencer. And um, she has a podcast and he's like, I just don't understand your business. Like, I don't understand what you're doing. And, and, and she's like, yeah, I feel stressed. I can never turn it off all of these things. And he's like, yeah, and I don't feel this way. And this man is the creator of these huge TV shows, multiple. He's had like a 40 year career and he, he can like leave and go home at night and turn off the lights. You know what I mean? Um, and this is what he said. He said, it's because you're the product and I am not. Uh, and that just blew my mind and it resonated with me so much. And that's really where I'm at now is that I've spent, you know, these last five years kind of being the product of this business and driving it forward. Um, and I think it's really important to make sure that we have an exit plan for that. Like, that's what I'm encouraging my clients now again made all the mistakes so you don't have to, uh, like, let's help you create this exit plan so that someday you can pass everything off so that you are not the product so that your venue can con continue to grow in perpetuity if you want it to without you. Wow. 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 You know, I'm realizing as, as you're talking here, that there's no way that we're going to have enough time to go through the list of questions that I have for you in my I'll head. Stop talking. No. So I'd like to just cold pitch you right here live for you to come back and for us to do a part two. Cause I want to talk expenses. I want to talk nuts and bolts and some other different stuff that I know the, the listeners and viewers would, would really like. I accept. Amazing. That's good. I like that. Um, but, and, and, and if you're listening to this right now, I would love for you to drop some questions. Like if you're listening to this right now and you have some questions about what Kinsey said so far, drop some of those in the description. And I mean, rather in the comments and, and we can, when she comes back on, you know, we can ask some of those. So I think that'd be cool. But Kenzie, I do want to ask you before we kind of wrap this part one, we'll say, um, going back to something you said on pricing, hmm. I'm curious from your perspective now, now you have a little bit of hindsight, right? You've got six years of hindsight. You've bought out your partner and that story will we'll tell it a, a different time. You know, the, the part of it that you can share with us, um, you've done it, you've built it up, you kind of bootstrapped it, you're sharing all these experiences with us. Do you feel like now, if you started a brand, brand new venue, you were gonna do this whole, product, the whole process over again, you're gonna start from zero. Do you feel like you would have 17 weddings in your first year? Or do you feel like you would have double or triple? Or do you feel like there's this natural evolution that a venue goes through every venue, regardless of the experience of the operator, that there's, there's this market fit, there's this adjustment that's happening. I'm so curious about your take on this. Oh my gosh. I, I truly believe if I was building a venue now, I really believe that I would probably triple those numbers because I would you know that, you know, I, I, sure marketing. Yes. But you know why? I think it's because of my network now. 
Okay. Like going back to, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Of course I would do, you know, all of the marketing strategy that I know how to do. But I think that now I would, I have so much more in my mind about my network and how to genuinely in a kind hearted servant way, utilize my network in the industry. Um, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, you know, going back to influencers, it's sort of like that concept. Not that, oh my gosh, that sounded gross. That's not what I meant. I don't feel like I'm an influencer. I feel like, like them, once you get to a certain point, then you can actually take your audience along with you in other areas, you know? So like influencers become authors, become podcast hosts, become this, become that. Now they have a shoe line. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I feel like the same is true for us as venue owners. So in our first venue, we are learning, like we are slogging through all of the things, but in our second venue, we don't have to relearn anything or we don't have to relearn those initial foundational practices. So you can set up your CRM in two seconds. You can set up your client experience workflow in two seconds. You know the mistakes that you made so that you can, you don't have to make those again. So instead of starting, there's no such thing as starting from zero when you are on the second turn. You get to take all of that experience with you and you get to apply it to your new process or you get to apply it to this new opportunity. Um, and I, I really think that I would lean so much heavier on my network even um, and what I've learned in the last six years. But, but take me to that next level because yeah. so for example, with ads, let's say you're using any sort of paid ads or even your, um, you know, let's say you use any one of the platforms, wedding wire, the not uh, venue report, you mentioned here comes the guide in my area. Um, any of these different I things. Yeah. They're, they're fantastic. I love them. Women led organization. They do a great oh, job. Um, and so I, I feel like there is a kind of a percolating time almost mm. kind of like this, this simmer period. And Say I more, like when, when in the beginning. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. For the ads to get going and for the, the, the com, kind of the online community to really start understanding that you're there in person mm -hmm. and to get some of those pictures. Cause you have got to get the professional pictures, just like you said. So, so is that, and this is purely my conjecture. So I'm, kind of throwing it your way and seeing what you think about it. Do you think that there is that period of time, regardless of if the operator has experience or not, that it takes to kind of build up? And do you think that having an experienced operator just shortens that window or does it disappear altogether? I guess that's really my question. When you say that, it feels like, so yes, I think there's a percolating time, but when, when you say that, it honestly feels to me like you're talking specifically about social media. And I think the answer, like Facebook, Instagram, uh, there's a percolating time for ads and all of this. And like, yeah, that is true because social media sucks in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, social media is tough for marketing. So it doesn't matter if you have any capital over here uh, on, on Instagram, unless you do have a huge following. So for me, that's what I mean by like, I would not put hardly any of my focus on those platforms if I was building another venue and I would go all in on the actual people who could bring me business. And therefore, I don't think there's any percolating time because I don't have to wait for them to know me. They already know me. They've seen my success and boom, now we're on all of these recommended vendor lists. And you now, and then instead, here's the thing, to your point, 
for percolating time, instead of you being the only one trying to percolate your online marketing, your social media, all of this. Now what you've done by using your network is you've created this army of marketing for you. And all of those people are going to help you start advertising. And so instead of just your social media trying to percolate, now you have you and your 50 friends all doing the same thing at the same time. Mm, I love that. I love that. There is more. And there's going to be a part two, everyone. So thank you so much for coming to part one of Kinsey Roberts on the Venue show. This has been so much fun. And we haven't ended a podcast like this before, but I think there's so much uh, left that we that I want to talk about that I'm excited to talk about with you. So let's get this scheduled, but let's wrap for now. And while people are just listening to this and they are, of course, going to want to go check you out, where do they check out your podcast, your venue? Where can they connect with you online? Thank you for allowing me to say that. I appreciate it. So my wedding venue is vistavueevents.com. You can find me there. Uh, if you want to talk business though, you can find me at she creates business. Um, I am on Instagram very infrequently. So if you just want to email me, I'm a real person. My personal email address is Kinsey at she creates business podcast.com. And we can just have real, real people chats. That's real where you can find chats. me. Yeah. That's good. I like yeah. that. Real people like, chat. Got, yeah. There's nothing, nothing special about me. I'd rather you email me than you don't have to find me in the DMs. <laughs> You're not an influencer yet? Soon. Oh my oh, gosh. No. Oh my, I felt like such an idiot. I was like, oh, that's not what I mean. <laughs> I, I actually, it's funny. I was having a, a meeting with my team just before we got on uh, the podcast. And I, and I, and I said that I said for this brand, I'm going to become something I don't want to become, but I'm going to, I'm going to end up occupying the hat of an influencer. Just, you know, face palm moment, but I think it's necessary at some level because you can, you know, build off of that. Yeah. So cool. Kenzie, right. thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Till next time.